Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The death of WCW. Give us more insight on it. Eric turns into the interviewer on this week's edition. You listen to them, now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olsen, but that's not me. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz What is up, everybody? Welcome to After 83 Weeks. Yes, I'm aware Christy Olsen is not here. She'll be back next week. It's okay. It's guys night, apparently. We're going to hang out. We're going to chat with Eric. We're going to chat about a book. We're just going to have as much fun as we can. What's up, everybody? I'm Christian Rosenberg. Don't worry. Even though Chris's not here, the rest of the crew's with me. First off, he's probably the reason that you are watching this YouTube page, because he kind of made it, as well as other various Wrestling Legends YouTube page. It's Steve Coffin. Hello. I looked at George very briefly. I was like, George, George, I decided, I introduced you first. George didn't make this page. Wait a minute. Yeah, hey, hey, Christy normally introduced me first when I'm in that chair. Therefore, I'd introduce you. And next to you, though, he is the encyclopedia of sports entertainment. He is also Devastator 2. It's George Hermosa. Now, now it's my job to say uh, he is a veteran of the wrestling business for 14 years. 13. 13 years. (laughs) You can know him as uh, Christian Rosenberg, as D. Evil, Dennis Evil. Dr. Evil, whatever you want to call you. This is Christian Rosenberg. Wow. I not only introduced myself, I got an introduction. How right. about that? Yeah. So so let's break down in this show. We're going to have Eric uh, calling in in a little bit to chat about you know the, all the latest news um, that's going on in the world of wrestling, as, as well as this week's episode, which was a very short episode, but it was a completely different thing than what we've seen in the past. Eric turned into the interviewer as we got to talk with Guy Evans on on his book. And he had some very interesting stuff as far as not just the insides of it, but like the real nook and crannies of things that no one has ever heard of. The Juanita Erickson's. That. <laughs> Would you like to, in case people haven't tuned into this week's episode yet, and shame on you if Which you is haven't. weird. Like, you're going to watch our show, but not... Some people do. Yeah. Some hey, people do. A views of you. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Break down who that is. We need Erickson, if I remember correctly, because it is... The lion's share of the episode, about 14 or 15 minutes of the about 45-minute episode, she was a Turner executive that right. was instrumental in bringing the Kiss deal bringing, like, the Kiss deal into WCW, among other things. But Eric referred to her as kind of a ring rat. Mm-hmm. A little bit. But even, a little bit. Said, even she was on an episode of Thunder, which I want to Like a one-time yeah. episode. Yeah, she was used once. Yeah. And then never like, seen I no, again. I have no idea who that is. It's like all these names that I haven't heard of before. And even, like, going back where I read The Death of WCW when that came out, like, 15 years ago. I haven't read it since then. I have so the book. So you're I, the guy. Yeah. But I, I remember there was a lot of, like, I guess you can say rumors and innuendo. There were, like, I remember one thing that stood out to me was that British Bulldog was supposed to be the third guy for, for Bash at the Beach 96. Okay. Which I never believed. And kind of, I, I've heard throughout the last, I think one of the first episodes that we did was, you know, Bischoff saying that, that Bulldog was supposed to be in talks with, you know, NWO and WCW. But just kind of... 
I haven't read the Nitro book, but if it says detail and throwing out all these names that I have never heard of before, it sounds like it's a pretty like accurate book. But at the same time, I also have my doubts because, yes, he did his research. But how much of that is just memories, maybe correct ones or incorrect ones from these guys that maybe have to remember from 20 years ago as well? It's also interesting on it because, obviously, Guy Evans, there's definitely some areas where he wasn't too fond of Eric, where he discusses in the book. And it was interesting because he was starting to bring up some points, and Eric's like, I could argue this for the next half hour, (laughs) but I'm not gonna. He was very very constrained Uh this week. And I kind of want him to break out of it. It's it clearly sounded like they had a limited time oh, yeah, that they needed. I mean, it's not like they have you know Conrad has Starcast or anything to prepare for this weekend. Well, and beyond the limited time, we all know when you have a guest on your show, you have to kind of treat them like a guest in your home. So you can't have you can't have someone come on who wrote a book. And then spend the whole interview being like, so here's all the times you trashed me in the book, and I'm going to categorically go through them and tell you why you were wrong. So have we been doing this all wrong with Eric all this time? Eric's a different case, okay. I think. <laughs> well, also, Eric is a different kind of house guest in this analogy. Sure. He he doesn't want the nice pillows. He wants he want, he, he wants to be one of us. Yes, he, he wants to live as the locals do, yes. if you will. <laughs> um, along with everything, though, I, I did find intriguing. Towards the end... Of, of the episode, we get to bring up Vince Russo, where <laughs> we always enjoy bringing up one Vince Russo. And it was interesting kind of listening as far as for how the numbers and how the ratings were viewed um, in that time span, based on what Guy Evans was describing. Well, they, he described the, the 13-week period that Vince Russo was at the helm. Mm-hmm. If you were to ask Vince Russo, he would tell you that, well, the the week I wasn't there versus the week I was there. Huge, huge difference. I'm the great I'm God's God's gift to wrestling. Whereas Guy Evans took the thirteen weeks prior to him and then compared him to the thirteen weeks that he was there to give a better swath just of what date how the numbers would mean, what data would mean, and he found out that oh, it was about the same. You just did an entire paragraph talking about Vince Russo without saying. Bro. I remember because I Bro. remember when Vince Russo came came. You know, it was October eighteenth, like his first day on Nitro, or first day that he booked. I remember like for those three months. I mean, I was intrigued by what he was doing, and I remember even night, even the ratings right before sold out in two thousand. I think it was like in the threes, and that was like a pretty good for WCW. So I was like, and then I hear the rumors of not rumors, but just kind of reports of now he's out. You know, and it's like, wait, he was doing a good job. Like let him let him play it out. And this is me at the time where. I loved everything wrestling, like not thinking in hindsight, but like dude, let him I I don't think that at the time Russo got a fair share, but at the same time, I think they did give him his props and saying, Well, ratings were on the on the on the incline. Yes, maybe it was the same, but that just showed when he took over to when he left, it was on its way up. Who's, I have who's to say it would have that that plateaued when he left. I have an apt analogy here. Let's say you own a fleet of ships. And you had to replace the captain of one of those ships. So for 13 weeks, that ship was doing fine, but you had to replace the captain for whatever reason. You replace that captain with another captain who's boisterous and loud and creates complete anarchy, and you're not positive he knows actually how to ride a ship. And when he does have a good day, he he goes down to the gallows and cries and kind of freaks out. out. After 13 (laughs) weeks, the the ship and the crew are in utter chaos, 
But the ship is still, in fact, headed toward the destination. Well, I, I would you keep that captain? I, I feel like this has to That's do with me. Analogy. I feel like this. Perfect. I feel analogy. like this is me filling in for Christie, and is what you're saying for a different captain. But you know, our true captain is Eric Bischoff, and we should get him on the line because they they want to hear what he has to say about all this. So stay tuned. We're going to get Eric on the line with you. Welcome back to After 83 Weeks. Let me do that again. <laughs> I don't normally do this part. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. And take two. Welcome back to After 83 Weeks. We are now being joined by the man behind 83 Weeks, the executive producer of WCW, the man that you would love to listen to, and the man that you can hang out with at StarCast this weekend, Mr. Eric Bischoff. How are you, sir? Gentlemen, I'm doing well, but it begs the question, where the hell is Christy? Well, well, we, we found out that we were just going to, you know, speak with you over the phone and not have the video for the AfterBuzz um, After and 83 Weeks YouTube page. So we thought you didn't want to look at us. And we figured, all right, all right you'll just listen. Sense. But she'll be back yeah, next week. Sense. Don't worry. That makes sense. I'll go with that. <laughs> so how are you doing? You getting ready for this fun weekend ahead at StarCast? You know, I really am, and it's been a, a, a hellacious month, you know, between being over in the U.K. and um, all the other stuff that I've been doing. I spent about four or five days in Buffalo uh, this past week and, and had meetings in New York City. So just the travel has been intense. I just got home last night, late last night, and uh, I got to be home today with my dog and my bride and then uh, packing up and heading out for thing tomorrow morning. So it's, it's been crazy busy. Anything you're like looking forward to the most, or even the least, as far as for the Starcast weekend? You know, um, well, I'm anxious to see the event itself. Uh, you know, double or nothing. Uh, I'm really anxious to see that. Uh, but aside from that, um, you know, believe it or not, I'm looking forward to the restaurants in Las Vegas. <laughs> that's that's where I'm at in my life. I'm going to Las Vegas not to gamble, not to party but to eat. So, well, what are your so go-tos then? What are go-tos? You know, um, I, I don't have a, a restaurant in particular that I go to. You know, I love good Irish food, believe it or not. Uh, one of my favorites. I love good Indian food. So I'll be checking that out. Sushi's a must-do. Um, a lot of good sushi bars in, in um, Las Vegas. But typically what I do, guys, when I go to a town is I'll go over to the Food Network and I go to diners, oh, drivers, and dives. Me too. And then I go and, you know, I look at some of the cool restaurants that have been featured on that show um, that are in the town that I'm going in because typically they're, you know, family-owned, independently-owned restaurants that are kind of one of a kind. And those are the kinds of restaurants I like to try to discover. So, you know, I know I'll find some good Indian food. I know I'll eat some sushi. Um, and I'll probably stop in one of my favorite favorite Irish pubs for a bit. But other than that, I'm just going to go exploring. Well, and, and you definitely explored a new route on this week's episode of 83 Weeks because you pretty much turned into the interviewer as opposed to the interviewee. So how, how was that transition for you? How did it feel to be on the other side of things? You know, <laughs> it was so natural. I didn't even realize I was doing it. You know, I just kind of... It just happened because I was so curious, you know, obviously, you know, the guy did a phenomenal job researching, you know, a story to write this book. 
that was a big part of my life. And he did such a great job of not only, you know, writing the book from a writer's perspective, but the amount of research and work and effort that he put into it and access. You know, I was so shocked that he was getting interviews with some of the, I mean, the only people he didn't really interview was Steve Case and Ted Turner. You know, it, it was, it, it was really great. And I, I was fascinated by it all. I still am. It was a short show. You know, Conrad had a lot going on, and we, you know, only had an hour. Um, but I'm sure we'll, we'll be doing another episode or ten with Guy over the you know weeks and months to come because it's a fascinating book. It, it's really like three books in one. So there's so much material that we never even got a chance to, to cover. But it was, it was fun for me. A uh, name that gets brought up a lot, especially by you, uh, a pretty infamous name in the last 20 years, Jamie Kellner. Uh, do you know what he's up to at all these days? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing he doesn't work for Turner anymore since there's wrestling back on, on Turner networking. But is that something that who you always wondered what he's up to around these days or what he's go- what's going on with him? No, no. I, I You know, I've never met uh, Jamie Kellner, at least not that I can remember. Or, and if I did, it was very brief. Uh, I, I don't believe I ever met him. Uh, have no interest in knowing how he's doing, what he's doing, or anything else. He's he's the guy that really takes a phenomenal opportunity for me. So if I never hear his name or, or run into him, it'll be a week too soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on that, so let's tr- try to take ourselves back to the end of WCW. Do you have an exit plan aside from trying to form a media group and bid on it? Like, were, were there any jobs at Turner you were eyeing, any jobs in television you were eyeing? Now, are you talking about, the t- you know, when I found out that the Fusion deal was going to blow up, or are you talking about exactly what are you talking about? I guess pre-Fusion deal and post-Fusion deal. Was the Fusion deal, were all your eggs in the Fusion deal basket, or were or were there other jobs you were eyeing out the future, a future you were seeing if the Fusion Fusion deal didn't go through? No, I mean, first of all, we, you know, we had every reason to believe once we signed a letter of intent and we're going through the, you know, due, due diligence process, I uh, had every reason to believe the deal was going to go through. It was a shocker when we found out uh, that, it, that it wasn't, you know, after we did the, you know, the Wall Street, you know, call and, and talk to, you know, investors and shareholders and all that kind of good stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it we, we were shocked. Um, that it didn't go through. So I didn't really have time to prepare. <laughs> you know, um, I didn't really, not to sound arrogant, it wasn't like I needed the, uh, needed the gig. Um, there wasn't, you know, my financial future was fairly solid at that point. So uh, once the fusion deal tanked, uh, that's when I had to start thinking about it. You know, I was still pretty young. My kids were pretty young. Um, I wasn't ready to retire. Uh, or, or able to, I, I didn't have that much money. So uh, it, it took me a couple of weeks to kind of realize that fusion wasn't going to happen, and it was time for me to start thinking about another deal, another gig. Well, so along with as far as like talk with with Turner and TNT, obviously the big news being you know of course Starcast is being with All Elite. All Elite Wrestling has announced that they have a deal with TNT and will start airing on Tuesday nights there um, sometime in the fall. Now that the news came out, Eric, did you have any type of advice to Cody and Young Bucks on how how to work or what they should or shouldn't do with TNT and Turner? 
No, no, of course not. I mean, look, the the management, you know, mid-level, upper, you know, management, executive management at Turner Broadcasting, TNT, is completely different today than it was 20 years ago. There's none of the same people there. I'm sure the network's goals are completely different. I'm sure their challenges are completely different than they were 20 years ago. So my experience with TNT uh, is really no longer relevant today in any way, shape, or form. So any advice I would give anybody would be kind of silly at this point. Um, I was you know, happy to hear that they got that deal. So it's a little bit of an interesting deal, the way it's structured. You know, They're getting their production covered which is great. Um, I'm guessing their production costs. I mean, this is just a wild ass guess, not knowing at all, you know, where they're going to do it, how many hours they're going to produce, whether it's all going to be live or some live, some tape, or, I mean, there's a lot of things, so many things I don't know, but if, if, for example, they're going live every week, I would find it hard to believe that they would be able to produce that show just pure production costs, for under three hundred and fifty or four hundred and fifty thousand dollars an episode, and I think that's very conservative. Now, if they're going to, you know, really ramp up the production so that they can be competitive, as they keep talking about being, uh, or fans do at least, uh, if they're going to ramp up their production to be even close to the WWE's. Now, you're probably looking at somewhere north of five hundred thousand dollars an episode. So those numbers are big numbers. Now, you know, there's a chance, you know, TNT, because they have their own production capabilities, is producing it in-house, which is a great deal, but it, it comes with some inherent problems. Anytime you have people producing wrestling that have never produced wrestling, um, it can get challenging. And I'm not talking about the director. You know, Keith Mitchell was a great director. He was with me in WCW. He's, you know, was in TNA. He's a really, really great talented guy but he's not running all the cameras <laughs> you know he's he can only he's only one man so you know if if in fact they're going to utilize tnt's production team that's going to be an interesting uh, opportunity slash challenge but what's really interesting about it is they're splitting the ad sales now if you look at tnt for example this past week they averaged for the week now, not for, for a night, but for the week, they averaged 3.2 million viewers in prime time. Now, that's buoyed in part by NBA playoffs. Right. You know, those are big numbers during, during this time of year. So let's, let's just, for the sake of argument, say they're 25% higher on a weekly average than they normally are. You're still looking at you know, just under three, uh, under 3 million viewers you know, in, in prime time as an average, that's a hard number to hit now for, for a new wrestling company. Now, where it gets really tricky and interesting is that they're splitting ad sales. Ad sales for wrestling is no easy task. There's just, you know, there's a lot of advertisers, even today, with the success of WWE, there's still an, and, you know, a fair amount of advertisers that just don't want to advertise in wrestling for any number of reasons. You know, number one, it's, it's not really a sport. It's, it's not, but it is. It's not really drama, but it is. It's not really a sitcom, but it kind of is. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, it's, 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 a, it's its own weird animal 
And because it's a unique animal, a lot of advertisers just aren't comfortable with that. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, it's a great deal for them. I'm really happy for them. But it's not as easy as a lot of people think. You know, it's not as cut and dry as a lot of people think. If, if AEW comes in and is delivering far less than their average prime time, even during non-NBA playoffs, that's a problem. If their ad sales department has a hard time selling it because it's wrestling, that compounds that problem by a factor of three. So it's, it's, it's not a slam dunk, but it's certainly a great opportunity. See, this is why I love doing this show with you, Eric, because only you could come up with that whole breakdown with the details from your knowledge and experience with it. Because I wouldn't have thought of the first, like, any of that stuff that you just broke down, which is great for all the listeners to hear as well. So thank you for that detailed answer on that. Well, and, and guys, I'm hypothesizing here because I don't sure. there's so much I don't know. The only thing I know is what we all read in the you know phrase, which is they've got a deal. Uh, production's gonna be covered by TNT and they're splitting the ad sales. That I do know. Um, we all know that. It's been published and I think people are talking about that publicly. But it, it's the you know, the variables, you know, most wrestling fans don't realize that most advertisers or many advertisers aren't real comfortable in wrestling. And guess what? Those who are, have got a pretty good place to be in WWE. So it's, like I said, it's fascinating, but I, you know, I appreciate you know, being able to talk about it because it just makes everything I think much more interesting as we watch them grow. It, it helps to have a little bit of insight into what their challenges may be. If my hypothesis is correct. So speaking of the first episode, or maybe coming up, you know, AEW on TNT, I want to transition back to Nitro. And that first episode, I know the comparison is a little bit different because WCW was not a new promotion that was premiering on TNT. But what were the expectations for Nitro as far as viewers go? And was there, like, any kind of wiggle room as far as, like, oh, uh, one million viewers, but then if you guys were lower, that's, you know, what would happen if it, it didn't meet expectations for that first episode? Yeah, it's really funny because... You know, it was a different situation. Ted Turner, in a meeting that I had with him, you guys have all heard, heard the story a million times. I'm going to see it here. But, you know, Nitro was a Ted Turner mandate. It wasn't a pitch. It wasn't me going into Turner Broadcasting and saying, hey, I've got this idea. What if we did, you know, prime time on TNT? If I would have gone in and pitched it, there might have been some kind of internal expectations or parameters that I would have had to meet or exceed. But that wasn't the case. It was like Ted Turner looking to Scott Sasa and saying, give this kid two hours of prime time on TNT to go head to head. So there, there were no parameters. It was just do it and make it work. Now, internally, I have to tell you that, you know, I think, I don't remember what TNT's prime time averages were back then, but I think, you know, comparing to the WWF at the time, you know, I think we were hoping to break a 2.5, 2.6, 2.8, somewhere in that range. You know, but we didn't expect we were going to get there overnight. We thought it might take us, you know, four, five, six, eight weeks to get even close to that. You know, we didn't think we were going to come out of the shoot on fire. But uh, we, we far exceeded our own expectations relatively quickly. So... 
Due to time, we time. Wow. All right. Due you got to time, it. Due to time Warner's <laughs> like wonky bookkeeping. Do you think we'll ever really know how much WCW was making or worth by the end? No, no, we never will. You know, and again, you you, you refer to it as wonky bookkeeping, and that's a good term. You know, colloquially, I guess. But <laughs> you know, there was some very creative, albeit legal, and and generally accepted accounting principles or gap as it's referred to in the industry. Um, so th- their, their bookkeeping wasn't illegal or, you know, nefarious for any reason, but it was pretty damn creative. And towards the end, when different divisions of the company were doing their absolute best to prop up their own internal numbers, it was relatively easy to dump losses or expenses over to this little line over here in the corner called WCW because they all knew it was going away. So we'll never know. You know, I, I do know that the numbers that have been bannered about, you know, it's not like people are making them up. I'm not accusing anybody of, you know, making up, you know, losses and things like that. But a lot of the losses, and, I, you know, that's one of the things I liked about talking, you know, to Guy Evans and reading his book is some of that is addressed by some of the people that were involved in Turner Finance. And they essentially said the same thing that I've been saying for 20 years that everybody thought I was just making excuses. <laughs> you know, this is me blaming everybody else. But, you know, when you hear people that were actually a part of, you know, Turner Finance, like Greg Prince, for example, um, who didn't report to me. He reported up to a, a lady by the name of Vicki Miller, uh, who was, you know, the head of Turner Finance. When you hear those people talking about the creative bookkeeping and how losses and expenses were just kind of creatively allocated to WCW, uh, you know, I had to take the blame for it, but um, no, we'll never know to answer your question. There was also some sad news over this last week um, with another member of, uh, from WWE um, passing away and Ashley Massaro uh, suddenly passing at the young age, I think it was 39. Um, I was just wondering if you... Um, as far as any interactions or if there was any type of stories or anything that might have stood out to you in any time spent with Ashley? No, you know, I, I, she was in WWE for a period of time. I was kind of on my way out. I think we probably mm-hmm. were together in WWE for maybe six months or a year mm-hmm. um, before before I left, maybe a little longer. But, um, you know, I didn't socialize with many people in WWE, not because I'm not a sociable person, but you know, you spend all day, you know, getting ready to do your job and, and do your work. So there was, for me at least, there was not a lot of time to socialize. Uh, and I kind of made a point to keep my head down and stay out of the crossfire of any, you know, crazy drama, political or otherwise. I just didn't want to get involved in anything like that. So I intentionally kind of isolated myself a lot during the day. And if I didn't have stuff to do and I wasn't working on my material, getting ready for the evening, um, I would take care of some of my other business because I was producing television shows for my own production company at the time, and you know I had my own work to do. So I didn't socialize much. The little socializing I did was with you know Jonathan Coachman and I would hang out quite frequently after the shows. Rick Flair and I, you know, frequently, well, occasionally, frequently, depending on the time. Um, but other than that, no, I didn't really socialize with her. Um, it felt horrible when I read this story. You know, again, I wasn't close to her in any way, shape, or form. But, man, you know, you just 39 years old, and as I read this morning, she you know, committed suicide by hanging herself. And I just, it's hard to just understand how 
desperate and depressed someone can get that would, especially, you know, someone who was, she was a, a beautiful girl, woman, she had a daughter, you know, she had a lot of things going for her. And to see someone take their own life like that is just, it's heartbreaking. And I, you know, I just wish somehow we can all convince people who are in that state of mind to just pick up a phone because we all know somebody that would love to jump in and help us out of a situation like that or help us dig ourselves out of a, a depressed state of mind when we're in one, especially when it gets that bad. I'm sure she had friends. I'm sure if she would have reached out to her daughter, I'm sure if she would have reached out to probably dozens and dozens of people. They would have all dropped whatever they were doing to come and help her and get her through it. But I guess when things are as bad as they obviously were with Ashley, you just, you're no longer thinking rationally. Uh, yeah. Just to switch up the subject, uh, you know, obviously the nitro book was a heavy subject for this episode. Uh, the death of WCW was the book that came out mm-hmm. around 13, 14 years ago. I already know the answer is no, but did you, <laughs> have you read that the death of WCW and in regardless of yes or no, what was something that you've heard about that specific book that came out maybe like 15 years ago? Uh, no, no, I haven't read it cover to cover. I've read excerpts uh-huh. from it. I've had, you know, chapters of it, you know, or portions of chapters, you know, read to me in interviews and things like that. So, I, you know, I've been aware of the book. Uh-huh. It's one of the few pieces of merchandise that I refuse to sign. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I still have people. It doesn't happen very often because I think only about 200 people bought that book. But um, I'm one of them. That was a joke. <laughs> I'm one of them. Was, and George has two copies. <laughs> I read yeah. it and I just already forgot about it. But again, but I think but, that just goes uh, just to kind of quickly interrupt you. It just kind of goes because it goes to the comparison about the Nitro book because there were names that I heard on this Nitro book, Nitro book, Nitro book episode that I never even heard of WCW on the, the, the WCW because that shows like who wrote it. I think it was like guys that worked for like the Meltzer newsletter or whatever. Yeah, you know, um, the Russell Crap guys, R.D. Reynolds. Yeah, Alex, yeah, Alex. Alex Marvez and uh, whoever it was. Yeah, no, I, you know, and that's one of the reasons why, look, my disdain for dirt sheet writers is legendary. And and I'll tell you, there are some of them that, you know, I do have respect for, you know, Mike Johnson over, you know, PW Insider, Mm -hmm. Dave Shear and, you know, Wade Keller. It's not that I've always gotten along with those guys. I've, I've called them out. They've called me out, that kind of stuff. But for the most part, they work at it, mm-hmm. you know, especially over the last few years. They actually do the work, and they'll actually, if they're going to go with a story, and it involves, you know, when I was a TNA, for example, there were times when, you know, another writer that I have a lot of respect for, Jason Jason Powell, uh, that works with Wade Keller, um, they would call me and say, look, this is what we're thinking about going with, this is what we're hearing, you know, what's your, what's your take on this? Is it true? Is it not true? I'm not, you know, once a writer, whether I like them or not is irrelevant, but once a writer actually picks up the phone and actually does the real work of being a journalist, I, I, I'll have respect for them. And I'll tell them what I think, and then they can write whatever they're going to write, but at least they asked. What really pisses me off to this day is when people write their crap, whether it's in a dirt sheet like Dave Meltzer's or, or anywhere else, and they don't even bother to pick up the phone to try to confirm sources or, or you know, double check. And maybe maybe what they're hearing isn't true. 
And and when they do have a source, they refuse to name him or her because well, we all know why because they're stooges and they don't want they don't want to deal with that. So yeah, I mean, look, it, times have changed, but you know, in the death of WCW, that was a classic example of two clowns that probably never left their basement, mm-hmm. never picked up the phone to interview anybody credible, and just didn't want to do the work. They just really wanted to recycle garbage that they've heard from stooges. Um, the those authors also wrote two different books called Wrestle Crap, and they're they chronicle botch like similar to Botchamania, they chronicle the kind of worst of pro wrestling. I bring it up because the, one of their first books actually had the Kiss Demon on the cover, and I kind of because we talked a lot about the ancillary Kiss deal. I wanted to ask how the Kiss Demon came to be in WCW. Well, it was a direct result of the effort that. Um, I was working on with Gene Simmons. You know, when, when Gene and I met in Los Angeles at the Beverly Hills Hilton, um, I only point that out because I was telling a story to somebody the other day. It was a funny story. But I, I walked into the Beverly Hills Hilton like at 3 o'clock on a weekday afternoon to meet Gene Simmons, and that was kind of a big deal for me. You know, Gene Simmons kind of a big deal. And I didn't know Gene at the time. I didn't know, you know, Gene has never had a drink and has never done any drugs his entire life. He's about as straight laces as they come. But I didn't know that. You know, he's a rock star. He's Gene Simmons. I'm meeting him in a lounge in Beverly Hills. I'm thinking, oh my God, my liver's going to just be trashed when this is over. But, you know, I got there and there was nobody else in the in, in the bar area, the lounge where we were going to meet. And he was in a big corner booth and, the, you know, really high ceilings behind him. And he had Kiss merchandise stacked up from the top of the booth about 12 feet high on three walls. <laughs> that were in the corner where this booth was. And his goal, you know, getting into business with WCW was to sell merchandise. That's why we were doing a deal. And the Kiss Demon was the manifestation of that effort. We wanted an army, if you will, of Kiss WCW characters that we could then merchandise. That was the whole idea. Kiss Demon was going to be getting the rub from Kiss and, you know, the band and Gene Simmons and all that. And we were going to build out, you know, an entire probably half a dozen guys that were kiss themed and related in terms of the look and vibe, because we wanted to merchandise them. And Gene Simmons was the king of merchandising and marketing. So that's that's how it all came to be. That's how we got Kiss Demon. Yes, that's the way. And 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 we we could obviously talk with you for hours on end. You know that, but we know you got. Get ready for Vegas for Starcast. Steve's going to be out there, so you got to make sure that he does not get back. Uh, <laughs> get me a job as a blackjack dealer. Is that what you're saying? Yes, <laughs> been doing that for ten years. <laughs> but Eric, as always, we love having you on. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Enjoy the weekend in Vegas. Enjoy and your I'm birthday. Sh- yeah, birthday's coming up. We'll be chatting with you. You'll be one year wiser the next time we speak with you. And we will um, we'll chat with you more then. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Cool. Thanks, Thank Eric. You. All right, yeah. I mean, it's always fascinating. I mean, even on you know, aside from him being the the interviewer this week, the Kiss Demon story, he just went on and on <laughs> about TNT and AEW, which is great. Uh, it's always great having him on. Absolutely. I think you guys are just up. nodding. Saying, like, the podcast will love the nods. I, I will point. I will point out the vibe everyone's feeling that him on the phone versus him via Skype does kind of change the dynamic slightly. 
But there's just a different vibe among but us. But there's like, no dynamic between me and Christy. No not, difference. She's not here. Oh, got it. That's oh, why there's no dynamic. Well, you can certainly still chat with Christy on Twitter at Christy Reports, and you can chat with us on various forms of social media. Steve Kaufman! How can people reach out to you? Uh, they can find me in real life and reach out to me. They can also find me in real life during uh, StarCast in Las Vegas. You can also find me on Twitter at Steve Kaufman. is K-U-F-M-A-N-N. I'm involved in, I believe, five YouTube pages at this point. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm tweeting the link, chances are I'm involved. All right, George. Yep. Uh, you can follow me Twitter, Instagram, G Hermosa, G H E R M O Z A, G Hermosa. All right, follow me on Twitter at Will Rosenberg, Instagram, The Will Rosenberg. This week, right now, ProRestingTees.com have a huge spring sale on all their merchandise. Promo code SPRING saves yourself 20% on everything. So you can go to Christian Rosenberg's ProRestingT store and save yourself some money while you get everything else. And of course, keep following 83 Weeks on the YouTube page, Instagram, and of course, AfterBuzz TV, the great place to host us each week. Follow them as well. Thanks so much for tuning in. Chris will be back next week. We Thank will God. see you then. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 